that threw me, you know, it's funny because sometimes you're in stride with stuff that happens. That threw me off in the first service. I was, stu- Bryce, I was stumbling over my words just to get going. Well, apparently I am the long-haired hippie because I do actually have a little hair here. So that makes me qualify for that. But I'm, it's great to be with, with you guys here today. Man, to be in the presence of the Lord, that Jesus is among us, that it's holy ground and we forget that. I, I keep wanting to say it every Sunday when we come in here because I'm like you, man. Sometimes I wake up and I'm tired, the whole time change, but this is holy ground. Jesus is here with the body of Christ. We gotta remember our Savior. That's why we're here. Nothing of our own merit, nothing we could do, nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but Jesus has brought us to this place where we're willing to go into a building with a bunch of unknown people who don't have it together because we don't have it together and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? That's why we're here. So now I won't be tripping over my words because I was you know, ready for it. So we come out of distracted life. How many of you were like, man, that was a cool series. That spoke to me. Nobody. Awesome. Well, there's a new series because that one didn't work. No, I'm just messing. Hopefully God spoke through that. But we wanted to do the distracted life because that's how so many of us are living. So many believers are so distracted. But it was really a call. It was a call to this powerful community we have in Christ together and away from the things that distract us like social media and a call back to community. And as part of that community, Jesus specifically gave us two things that we are to do together as this community, as this powerful community, these pictures of salvation. Can you guys guess kind of what I'm talking about? Because we're in this new series called Ordinances. Kind of a weird, weird word, right? You don't use that a lot, ordinances. So what are those two things you think Jesus gave us? These ordinances, besides Jack Weekly. You're that, you're that kid in the class, man. I know you, I know it. Well, Jack, you're right, you're right. So we've been given ordinances. Ooh, wow. Did I, you, that just gave it away. The pictures, it's always the pictures. Well, ordinances, this is what it means. It's an ordinary means of grace. And the word ordinary comes from the Latin word meaning to follow the usual course. Now, when I say that word ordinary, man, we, we've meant that to mean like drab or ritualistic without meaning, right? It's just ordinary. But in many churches, that's what the Lord's Supper and water baptism have become. They're ritualistic, it's drab, it's without meaning. But see, that word of ordinances, it means a new ordinary, the new ordinary business of the church. See, when we celebrate these things, they are ordinary practices, remembering the extraordinary work God has done. And as we practice these ordinances in community, this new ordinary, we need to understand it. I want you to hear this from the onset of this whole series we do about the ordinances, that water baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion, you might call it, they don't save us. They are signs, they are pictures and symbols of an inward work that Jesus alone did that we call salvation. And please hear this. They add nothing to the finished work of Christ. It's not Christ plus baptism 
or Christ plus communion to be saved. I don't take them or do them to be saved or to keep my salvation, but they remind me to rest in what Jesus did and that I belong to him. They're an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. They're not empty rituals, but life-giving times of refreshing and encouragement. Man, when I see water baptism, listen, we would, do, we would announce when we were doing water baptism, we'll do it this time too on Easter, but we'd have Sundays and believers wouldn't show up. But man, I get jazzed when I see people getting dunked under the water because it reminds me when Jesus first found me. There are times of refreshing, of remembrance of what Jesus has done in our lives. They're not rituals but life-giving times are refreshing and encouragement. You see, the ordinances remind us of the past. And how many of you have forgotten when Jesus first found you, how you needed his grace, how he wrapped you in his arms, how he found you, how he came running to you like the prodigal son that you were, calling you home. See, we remember that past of what he did but yet they also encourage and empower our present journey and give us hope for the future. But here's what's so cool. I want you to think about this. Maybe somewhere around the world right now, somebody's taking Lord's Supper. Right now around the world somewhere, somebody's being baptized. And then think of all our history as the church, down the centuries, the things that we have in common, down the road, down back then, Luther was baptizing, taking communion. These people in the church, Peter, all these people were taking communion and baptizing. Every time I engage in the Lord's Supper or baptism, I connect with a living history, with a living God, and I stand in a long line of believers who relied on the finished work of Jesus, who stand together with a great cloud of witnesses in heaven, proclaiming his kingdom come. From the underground church in China to the Muslims who are seeing visions of Jesus and renouncing Islam to certain death, we are bound together by certain ordinances. And again, Jesus gave us two, baptism and Lord's Supper. But listen, before we can get in this series, before we can talk about any of these things, we have to discuss this. Are you his because they are meaningless unless you belong to Jesus. It's just a ritual, not a relationship. If you're going and taking communion bread into your mouth, but you don't know why you're doing it, and that there's been a heart change. Has there been a time in your life where you can say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior? And more specifically, I wanna ask you this question this morning. Have you been born again? See, this is the most game-changing question you could ever answer. And the Bible says to examine, to see if we're in the faith. It's not a thing of, of, of getting scared about salvation, but examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You must be born again. So I wanna read to you about a person that interacted with Jesus, that Jesus actually posed this question to him. He's a Pharisee, which was a re religious ruler of the day. In fact, he was like Captain Big Stuff in the Pharisees. He was the teacher of Israel. This guy knew his Bible. He was a good moral man named Nicodemus. And he comes to him at night to question Jesus in John 3. So if you have your Bibles or your app or whatever, open up to John 3, and it will be on your screen as well. 
John 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now listen, sometimes we think the Pharisees didn't know who Jesus was, that they didn't understand, but it shows that many of them did understand who he was. It goes on, Jesus answered him and said, now I love Jesus because he never answers straightforward, but he says exactly what we need to hear. So he's gonna totally just throw this at Nicodemus. It's great. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born a second time, in other words, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, you could see him scratching his head, said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said this. I think I'm reading it over again. I was. But Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural birth, okay? One is born of water and the spirit, that second birth, that's being born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How many of you have the first one down? If you're in this room, you're born of water. You're doing really good right now, okay? So you've answered the first question. We just need to answer the second one. Have you been born of the spirit? Have you been born again? But you cannot enter the kingdom of God or heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Notice he doesn't say this. It's something you should do or something you should get around to or something you should consider. He says, do you want to go to heaven, Nicodemus? Do you want to see the kingdom? Then you must be born again. See, many knocked the Pharisees, right? But many of them were good men. They were the conservative theologians of the day. They were conservative. They stood on the right side of the political party, whatever that is. And many believe secretly in Jesus, we know from the scriptures. And notice what he says. Nicodemus says, we know, meaning there were others who were scratching their head but knew about Jesus. But I want you to think about Nicodemus right now. He attended synagogue, church in other words. He prayed, he read the Bible. In fact, to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. We may start doing this for D groups. We would have nobody in D groups, right? But to be a Pharisee, think about it. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, I know you did that a long time ago, and that's no big deal to you, but think about how tough it would be to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So think about it. He attended church faithfully. He prayed. He read and memorized the Bible. He fasted. To be a Pharisee, you were required to fast two times a week. Now listen, that's twice a week. That's two times more than most of us ever fast in a year or in our lifetime. He tithed. In other words, he gave 10% over his income to the church. And here's something we don't always realize about the Pharisees. 
They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Nicodemus reveals that they had some sort of knowledge. Well, you're a great teacher. You're kind of, you know, a great moral teacher. They believed that Jesus was from God. We believe you are who you say you are. No one could do the miracles you do unless God was with him. So he recognized he came from God. He recognized he had the signs of a true man of God. And he recognized God was with him. So with all that in mind, here's the amazing thing about the passage of scripture. Think about this. Jesus says to a man who attends synagogue or church faithfully every Sunday, prays, well, Saturday, prays, reads the Bible, ties, fasts two times a week, gives to the poor, is around Jesus enough to see miracles, to know he's from God. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're not going to heaven, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. And he didn't say this to a prostitute or someone on the street. He said this to a man who lived a good moral life. And see, I think there's many of us, many in this room, maybe watching at home, that you mentally believe in Jesus. You're like, he's a great teacher. You can maybe even say the right stuff, but you've never been born again. Well, I grew up in church. I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. I've got it all down. I know the right things to say. But you're not basing eternity on what Jesus says. And you need to base eternity on whether you've been born again, not whether you're good enough or you've attended the right church or you attended church growing up every Sunday. If you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. So I snagged this illustration and I've used this before. But this pen, I want you to picture a meter here. Now, I got really confused in the first service with this, but there's a meter. Again, this is not my example. I'm stealing this example. So there's a meter right here, and it can go this way or this way, right? And this is your heart. Now, if you're on this side, now, this is where I got mixed up before, so help me. But if you're on this side of the church, you're in heaven right now. This is heaven. You've sat well. Now, you know what's coming over here. I'm sorry you chose unwisely. This is hell. You're in, Okay. But this is what it's like to be born again. See, when we're born, we're going the wrong way. Everybody that's born, you're going the wrong way. You've inherited a sin nature from Adam and from your parents. You don't have to teach your kids to be sinful, right, or bad. I remember seeing Ellie and Jason, before they could talk, would like be rebellious, like throwing stuff off the thing, right? Jack Weekly, I know your kids, were they rebellious? (laughs) but you don't have to teach your kids to be bad. They inherently know it because our heart was born towards one direction, a sin nature. And it's actually going to hell. So that section, I got it wrong again. You know, you guys are in heaven. Sorry, you're going to hell. So we're all born again. We're born going the wrong direction the first time, right? Listen, I grew up in church. Some of you know my mom, she's a godly woman. She told me about the right path. She told me what it means to have morals. She taught me what it means to know Jesus. And no matter what I did, no matter what I did, I would push so hard. I would try so hard. I would try to be good. I would try not to lie. I would try not to steal. I, wouldn't do, I stole a G.I. Joe man at church one time when I was a kid, just FYI. And so I'm trying so hard. But every time I try, boom, it goes back over here. It goes back to this side. 
because my heart is oriented to that because I'm trying to be good enough and I try and I try so hard to be good enough until one day I believed in Jesus. He opened my heart and I heard the message. I heard for the first time that it's nothing that I could do but solely what Jesus did for me. And what happened is I was born again. The Holy Spirit breathed on my heart. He gave me a new heart with a new orientation. Now I'm no longer oriented over here. I'm oriented over here to heaven. I'm in the kingdom of God now. And so what I have to do now is I have to try really hard to sin. And that's how many believers are living their lives. You're just pushing and trying and you've lost the fact that you're a son or you're a daughter and you're trying to earn it. And God says, you can't ever earn it. You never could. And you go back over here because something convicts your heart of sin and you ask forgiveness. It's like this now. You're like, I know I can't forgive her. No, she, men, she always does this. I can't forgive. It's like your sister at home or whatever you are. But suddenly you're like, but Lord, you forgave every one of my sins. How could I not forgive? There's something in your heart, even when you struggle with sin, that says this way, this is the way. Go towards Jesus. He's given you a new heart. See, Jesus changed the orientation. If you're born again, born a second time of where you're heading, in heaven, again, you pick some good seats to sit in this morning. You're all good. But now I want to do the right thing, what God wants me to do. He changed your want to. How many know you have a want to in here? He changed your want to. And I have to try really hard to go the other way. And some people keep living in sin, but their heart says, no, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. And that inward change is called salvation. It's a one-time event. You don't have to be born again, again, and again. You're born again one time, and he changes you. You see, before I was saved by Jesus, my default was to do the wrong thing. But now my default is to do the right thing and to pursue Jesus. See, I don't change my heart. God changes my heart. He's the only one that can change your heart this morning. He's the only hope that you have. And when I did that, I was born again. So here's what I'm asking you. When did that happen? When did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God changed your heart? You see, sin is the problem, but the cross solves our problem. So I love it. So Jesus, out of nowhere, talks about to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he's gonna really throw a curveball at Nicodemus and he's gonna bring up this really strange historical story from Israel's past in Exodus. So let me read it to you. He references the Old Testament, a strange story. He goes, He says, as Moses was lifted up, he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? A snake on a pole. It's an odd story, a snake being lifted up. But it's a picture that he would die on a pole on the cross. And whosoever looks to him and believes will be saved and have eternal life. It's in Christ alone that we're born again. But I want you to listen to our story, our predicament, as I, as I kind of just cover numbers. So the story in Numbers 21, 4 through 9, it would have been very familiar to Nicodemus. And it's a story of sin. And we find our own redemption story in it. 
See, Israel had sinned and rebelled against God and they had to be punished. There was a penalty. There's a penalty for our sin. And God sent fiery serpents that bit the people and so they were dying. But it was also a story of grace. For Moses interceded for the people and God provided a remedy. They had a predicament, but God provided a remedy. He told Moses to make a brass serpent and lift it up on a wood pole for all to see. And any stricken person who looked at the serpent would immediately be healed. They would be saved. You see, it's also a story of faith. When the people looked by faith, they were saved. He's saying, Nicodemus, you can't be good enough. You are moral enough. You're in a predicament of your sin. Did they try to do anything when they got bit by the snake? All they could do was look to the pole. All we can do is look to the cross. We're in a predicament. Where's a penalty? But God provides a remedy. See, I, if you think about it, they were in that, and I have a picture here. I'll, I'll put a picture up in a second. But think about them. They're in their desert and they're getting bit by these snakes and they're dying. This is what we would do. You don't see them in the scriptures suddenly saying, okay, we've got to come up with a solution. Maybe if we, you know, put a committee together and try to figure out how we're going to kill all these snakes or we pass some anti-snake laws or you didn't see them climbing up the pole or anything like that. The only answer was looking at the uplifted serpent. It's the same with us. Our solution, our remedy, we can't do it. Jesus provides the remedy. It's not being moral or good enough. We can't cure our sin, but only to look at Jesus. Listen, there is no such thing as a good person. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But just like them, our sin and rebellion deserve judgment and wrath. Listen, God is holy and just and sin is serious. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've sinned and rebelled and there's a penalty. God's judgment, God's wrath is on us unless we look to the cross to be healed and saved of our sin. There's nothing you can do but look to Jesus. So there's a penalty, but God provides the remedy. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That word remission, what does that mean? It means the cancellation of debt, charge, or penalty. The answer to our penalty is blood. Why blood to have remission? It sounds strange. Because our sin and rebellion is so great that there must be something that appeases the wrath and justice of God. So this is the penalty that we must die. Our blood must be drawn unless there is a substitute. And Jesus became our sin substitute. He became a sin offering. He took our place. I want you to hear this this morning. Our sins were transferred onto him. The wrath you and I deserve was taken on him. Isaiah 53, five says this but he was pierced for our transgressions. There's that picture I was telling you about. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus took your place. 
His blood was drawn so you could have peace. Think about that. And I want you to think about this. Maybe you never thought about this before. God transferred our sin curse and uncleanness, every unclean thing in your life, every unclean thought, every sin on to Jesus. Jesus indirectly refers to himself as a snake. Isn't that kind of strange in the story when he's talking to Nicodemus? Comparing himself with the serpent is shocking. Who do we think of when we think of the serpent? It's because it's symbolic of everything that's opposite of God. But listen to what the scriptures say. Listen to this. Second Corinthians says, he made the one who did not know sin, sinless, spotless lamb of God, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Have you ever thought about that? He became a curse for you. The curse you deserved. The wrath you deserved. It was all poured out on him. Jesus took our sins Picture it on the cross, every sin. And he literally looked like the most evil symbol in the Bible to his own father in heaven. It's hard to wrap our minds around. The perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God, Jesus, innocent, now looks like a snake because he literally became sin who knew no sin, a curse. The most disdainful, disgusting thing he became and the wrath we deserved and the penalty of our sins Your sins were upon him. See, the father looked at his son and he saw your sins and he poured out the wrath that you deserved. Jesus had to take and absorb your punishment on the cross so you could be declared not guilty. If you will look to him and be saved. See, he had to look like a snake so that we could look like the Lamb of God. Think about that. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And your sin may be dark. Maybe you're like, I'm not like Nicodemus. I can't claim to be a good moral man. Or maybe everybody thinks you're a good moral man, but behind the scenes, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Your sin may be dark. But you are not beyond the blood of Jesus. No sin is greater than his sacrifice. The cross covers the depths of darkness and the depths of your sin, no matter how bad it's in there. You're like, Brian, you don't know how bad it is. He can take it. He took it all the way to the cross. Every one of your sins, no matter how bad they are. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. So how was a person born again? Saved from eternal separation in hell? It's not by anything else, but by believing on Jesus, by looking unto him by faith and receiving the free gift of salvation. And some of you this morning, it's starting to hit you every sin of mine he took on the cross, the penalty that I deserved, he took from me. Maybe that's hitting you this morning. 
Maybe you're uncomfortable. Maybe you're starting to see, why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that for me? Who am I? Maybe the person next to me, but why would he do it for me? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Nicodemus, Jesus says the most famous verse, John 3, 16 to Nicodemus, right after the story of the snake. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. Do you notice how many times it said believe? Whosoever believes, believe, believe in the name of Jesus. Believe, look to the cross. He loves you. It's time to believe. He would do that for you. He would do it for you. And he has done it for you. Maybe that's hitting you this morning. He did that for you. Not because you attended church. Not because you were born in a Christian family. Not because of any other reason, but because he loves you. Believe upon him today. Jesus is the remedy. We are helpless in our sin without our savior. If we could save ourselves by being good enough, then what would have been the point of Jesus' sacrifice? All we can do is look to Christ alone. You see, you're dead into your sins. You're dead in your sins until you look to Jesus. They needed to be saved from the serpent's bite. They couldn't make any medicine. They couldn't do anything. And we too need to be saved from our sins that we can't do anything about. And without being saved from our sins, we are slaves to our sins. Jesus told Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. See, you were born of flesh, that natural birth, a slave to your sins, separated from the life and love of God. Now you need to be born again, born of the spirit of God. When you look to Jesus and believe on him, the Holy Spirit breathes on you and you become a new creature in Christ. You have a new heart. He changes your want to. He changes your heart. And you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and God moves in. And your body is now a temple for the Holy Spirit. Think about it. You're born the first time of water. You inherit the nature of your parents, right? Like you inherit their ears or their eye color or their hair or their lack of hair or whatever it is, right? Characteristic things from your parents, right? It's the same way with being born again. When you're born again, you take on characteristics of your father in heaven now. You inherit the nature of God. The scriptures say we are partakers in the divine nature. That doesn't mean we're God or we're gods. It means that we get to share in the life of Christ. He shares his life in us and we become more like Jesus. And we have a new appetite for the things of God. We have a new hunger to feed on the word of God and to grow into maturity. Just some of you have forgotten because you're pushing so hard back over here when he's already changed your heart. See, John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
You believe on Jesus to save you and the Holy Spirit breathes on you and you become God's child, sons and daughters. I love it in Celebrate and Recovery on Friday nights. We'll watch testimonies, hear testimonies, watch video testimonies. But I love what they say. When they get up to do their testimony, they say, I'm a part of a forever family. Are you a part of the forever family in Jesus? This is my family right here. I've been born again into a new family. This is my brothers and sisters. Are you a part of the forever family? Have you been born again? I was there when Ellie and Jason were born. Man. Now there was a lot of screaming, crying, blood and pain. Not to mention the pain that Jen went through. I mean, man, that epidural needle almost passed out. But listen, mom has to go through a lot of pain so there will be birth, right? In the first century, mortality rates for babies and moms were super high. Listen, if you were a mom and you were pregnant, you didn't know if you were going to make it. If you're a mom, you didn't know if you're going to make it. And you didn't know if baby would make it. That's what it was like in the first century. Are they going to live or are they going to die? You see, someone had to put their life on the line for there to be birth. Someone has to be willing to die for you to be born. So it is with being born again. Jesus had to go through terrible pain on the cross. But when they handed that baby to Jen, I remember all the pain that she went through. When Jen saw Ellie, when she saw Jason, it was like all the pain of childbirth went away and this joy, tears of joy flooded in her. All the pain was forgotten. Tears of joy welcoming a new baby in the world. So it is when you believe in Jesus. He took the pain to have you. You see, Jesus uses that word picture I just used, that metaphor. He uses it in John 16, 21 to applies it to the cross and to you and to be born again. In John 16, 21, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's with his disciples and listen to what he says. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her hour has come. Anytime Jesus says my hour has come, he's used it in different context. It always means that he's going to the cross. My hour has come, I'm going to the cross. So he's talking about himself in a word picture, in a metaphor. Because her hour has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. See, he's with his disciples. He says, in order to see you again, I have to die. But when I see you again, all the pain of the cross will be forgotten. When I look at you, I will find such joy in you because you're my child. How many of you have forgotten that Jesus finds joy in you when you were born again? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to have you. I remember when I got to hold Ellie for the first time. It was like 2 a.m. I was tired. I took her in my arms. I'm in the rocking chair. And man, I felt overwhelmed with the responsibility having this little baby in my arms. But I had such joy at the same time. 
I remember thinking, how am I going to raise this girl? How, how, me? How am I going to do it? But see, when you were born again, the father took you in his arms and he looked at you and he's not like me. With confidence, he said, every step of the way, I'm with you and I find joy in you. See, the same one when you were born again that put you in his arms, Jesus forgot all about the suffering because of the joy of having you. And he still finds joy in you. He still loves you. He will always love you. And he would do it just for you all over again. Trust in the work Jesus did for you on the cross. Salvation is in Christ alone. See, there's many in here that you haven't been born again yet. This is your time. It's time to look to the cross and believe. It's time to look at what Jesus did, what you can't do, that you're not good enough. Jesus said, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you been born again? Band, you can come up. When you accept the free gift of salvation, you can know you'll be with him in heaven forever. How many of you can say, I'll be in heaven forever because of what Jesus did? How many of you know that this morning? How many of you know you'll be with Jesus without a shadow of a doubt if you died right now? You would be with Jesus in heaven. For you that can't answer that confidently, you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. If there's something in your heart, there's a, something drawing you, that's the Lord opening your eyes Open your ears to hear truth. Jesus is opening your ears to hear that he's calling you to be saved, to be born again. And the spirit of God wants to breathe on you this morning. Today, if you don't know Jesus, he came to give you eternal life. Will you believe on him for everlasting life? That word for life that Jesus uses means right now. You pass from darkness to his light right now. So if that's you this morning, if there's a burden in your heart, if you've been carrying guilt and shame in your heart, and you're like, I don't know him. I grew up in church. I grew up Catholic. I grew up Protestant. I grew up all this stuff. If today that's you, this is all you need to do. Start talking to Jesus. Not out loud. But recognize you're a sinner. That Christ died for your sins. Recognize what Jesus did on the cross is exactly what you needed that you can't do anything. He died on the cross so you could have, be forgiven of your sins, so you could experience rebirth right now. So just close your eyes, bow your heads, and talk to Jesus. Just say something to him right now. Just say, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Tell him that you're amazed that he would suffer on the cross for you. Tell him you want a new heart. Ask him to come into your life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to pray over you. Father, I pray for those who don't know you this morning, either watching at home or in this building, Father, in this place. 
I pray right now your conviction will be all over them and that they would surrender to you, Lord Jesus. They would believe on you. They would look unto you, Jesus, and be radically saved, that you place your Holy Spirit on them, Father, that you'd seal them with Holy Spirit, that, Father, you'd baptize them in Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would have a new heart. Holy Spirit, breathe on them. Blood of Jesus, cleanse them and wash them from every sin. We thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus, shed for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And some of you, you've been born again, but it's like the pen. Your heart is new, but you've been pushing this way. You won't pick up your cross daily and follow him. Maybe it's a sin that you just have kept hidden. Maybe it's a secret. You need to repent, not for salvation, but to come back to the relationship you have in Christ, to come back to the Lord, to come back to his feet. I was thinking as I was doing this message that we need more messages about the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians, it says this, that you were once far away. See, this is how many believers are. You were once far away, but the blood of Jesus brought you close, but then you're trying to live far away again. Come home. Come home, sinners. Come home. Come home to your Father that holds you in his arms and still finds joy in you. And you're like, he can't find joy in me. I've messed up. He finds joy in you the very time you were born again to the day when you can barely walk and he takes you up to heaven. He loves you and you are his. You are his. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray over you. Bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I pray for the believers, the ones that are born again, but they've been living like they're not born again. I pray for repentance. Father, I pray that your kindness would renew their hearts, renew their spirit, refresh them, Holy Spirit, convict them, Holy Spirit. Burn with your love inside of them that they will deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow you, Father. I pray that in the name of Jesus. You see, we were far away and the blood of Jesus brought us close. I love the, the old song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the precious flow that makes me white as snow. Some of you need to get forgiven again. Some of you need to get cleansed again. That you've been saved, but you've been rejecting the Lord, His love. And you need to just come back in tenderness to Him because He's calling you home. Sinner, come home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what we owe all to. So He would die on the cross. The cross is up here. We're going to keep this out the whole series. You may want to come bow. If you gave your life to Jesus today, if you prayed that prayer, if you talked to Him, Tim and Joni are in the back. I'll be back there. Come. Let's just pray over you. Or maybe today, you're a believer, you're born again, but you've been running away from God. It's time to come home. We would love to pray with you. Or you can bow up here, you can come up to the cross. Let us pray with you. Or maybe you just need to pray. You're just brokenhearted, and you need the forever family to surround you and pray. Let us pray for you. I've been talking a lot about birth today, babies. I want you to know that baby Lakin is in heaven. 
baby lake and immediately went and Jesus is holding that child and our hearts are crushed in grief with you. And we love you and we're praying for your family. In Jesus' name, amen.